I don't think you'll have a problem hearing me. And the reason for that isn't actually necessarily a good one. Several years ago, I was going into the Navy, as you read, or as Deacon graciously said, and I had to do these medical tests. And basically, these medical tests are an absolute gamut. You got to do a blood test, you got to do a reflexive test. And then, one of the dreaded things that, at least for me, you have to do a hearing test. And after it's all said and done, you go to the doctor, he does that awkward checkup on you, and the doctor, in my case, looked at me and said, Are you a hunter? And I was like, uh, yeah? How'd you know that? Because you almost failed the hearing test. <laughs> so that is why I can't help but being very, very loud, because I've got to hear myself first before I'm confident any of you are hearing me. So last night, I was talking to somebody about possibly coming to this Lenten remission. And as you know, this Lenten mission is about discernment of spirits. In fact, what we have over there at that table is a large stack of the 14 rules of discernment by St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits. And the person I was talking to about the discernment of spirits and about, about coming to Lenten mission, I said, hey, why, why don't you come and join? Why don't you come and uh, check it out? He, he responded, you know what, I think I would like to. It would be very interesting to hear of the discernment of spirits for somebody who's not a Jesuit. To which I should have responded, you should really come because you might actually get the orthodox opinion. I'm just kidding, I actually like the Jesuits. In fact, to give you an idea, I almost entered the Jesuits back whenever I was discerning priesthood in high school. And one of the beautiful aspects of the Jesuits is these guys were intense. They did not apologize for anything, at least historically. I mean, if we read the stories of the North American martyrs, all of which were Jesuits, they stopped at nothing to convert the Huron Indians, even though they had all kinds of horror, horrible tortures happen to them. Instance, one, for instance, one guy had his thumb cut off, with, cut off with a shell, another guy was tomahawked to death, and, of course, the one that, that I am most fond of is a man by the name of St. René Goupil, the only St. René out there. Maybe there'll be a second one someday, who knows? But, basically watching and reading about these guys, I was so fascinated, first and foremost, by how they had their conversion experience. Every single one of these Jesuits did a 30-day silent retreat. A 30-day silent retreat. That is, you go into basically a, a retreat setting, and it's just you and your spiritual director. And he's giving you reflections to reflect on. And he's asking you to, do, you to do four to five holy hours in front of the Blessed Sacrament every day. And basically, based off of those reflections and those interior movements that you develop and, and sense, by receiving those, you have food to, to speak with your spiritual director about. Those are the contents that you go into your spiritual director about. And it's through those experiences that these Jesuits truly learn what it means to discern spirits. Because the fact of the matter is, spirits cannot be discerned on your iPhone. You can't make an app for that, believe it or not. It's impossible. Spirits have to be discerned only and solely in silence, in quiet. Which is why we have the format that we're having today. Basically, I will give you guys a brief explanation on discernment of spirits how it works, what we're looking at, and then we'll take that time for silence, that time in front of the Blessed Sacrament so that you might have the opportunity to examine deep within your hearts 
how discernment, how, how the spirits are moving. What is going on? Who's saying what? What's happening? And so that's why, that's basically what I plan, plan on doing these next three days, is giving you all the opportunity to see not what is going on in your life, but who is working in your life. Is it the good spirit or is it the evil spirit? And that's why discernment of spirits is absolutely so key. You may have heard during my homily this past weekend that we discern spirits so that we can go to war, so that we can fight the kingdom of darkness, so that we can tear it down, and so we can reject him right then and there. And honestly, that is a key part of discernment of spirits. Fighting the kingdom of darkness, rejecting the evil one, putting him back to hell where he came from. But there's a deeper reason, one that is actually more obvious than even going to war with the kingdom of darkness, believe it or not. And the reason is simple. There is no neutral ground between heaven and hell. There's no neutral ground between heaven and hell. Purgatory fades away. Eventually, if you make it into the purgatory, you get into heaven, congratulations. But there is no neutral ground between heaven and hell. You're either going to one or the other. And because of that simple, basic fact, neither God nor Satan stands by neutrally. Because you and I were either going to heaven or going to hell, God and Satan do not stand by neutrally. They do not. Contrary to so much of the world, what the world might believe. If we're honest and we speak with people of the world, they'll say things like, I don't believe in God. Or if there is a God, where is he? What does he do? Does he just sit in heaven all day? Does he just kind of like arrange the human race and just kind of let us go play while he just kind of kicks back and lets us shoot each other in schools? Is that what God is? Is that what God's up to? The other thing is, you'll hear too, I don't believe in Satan. I think all of our problems are based off of psychological problems. We think, I think all of our problems are based off of simple miswirings. The great problem with that is that you and I are determined based solely off of the way we're wired in our heads. We have no power, we have no choice. You and I's fate are absolutely determined by the way we're born. That's it, that's all. Hang them up, boys. There is no point in going any further. But if we can really expect, and if we can allow our imaginations to go further than just what we see in this material world, what we can sense with our feelings, with our, with our touch, with our taste, with our eyes, if we can allow ourselves to experience those deeper realities, then and only then will we ever be able to see God at work. And then and only then will we be able to detect the lies, the deceit, and the misery that Satan is trying to implant in our lives. It's the only way. Only if we can truly detach ourselves from this material world and begin to rest in the beautiful silence that God has given us, will we ever to be able to see where God and Satan are really working? And where are they really working? They're working deeply into our human hearts, and they never stop. When does God's grace ever quit working? When is God not loving us? And when do the demons take a holiday? I'd like to know what day that is. That'd be quite enjoyable. The fact of the matter is, they never, ever stop working on us. 
Satan is always trying to drag us into hell. And God is always giving us the grace to get into heaven. The two are always working in our lives in a very profound way. And it happens not within the outside of the sensual things. Sure, it does happen. Miracles happen. Bodies are changed. Healings happen. All these things do happen. Scripture is littered with beautiful healings, with resurrections, with rivers turning into, into blood, with staffs turning into snakes, with seas parting in the middle. God does work in the outside exterior world, but he works mostly from within. That is where these spiritualities exist the most, in the core of the human heart. Satan does not, notice Satan does not work that much in this country with exorcisms and demonic possessions. Because if we were to do that, we'd be on to him. We would know him. But instead he works with temptations, with subtle lies, with these deceitful lines that seek to confuse us and drive us up the wall. These confusing lies that don't allow us to see what's true, what's good, what's beautiful. These confusing lies which sow so much anxiety, so much anger, so much lust, so much depression in our lives that we often can't see up from down. Which is why learning to discern between these two spiritual realities is not just a language or a way or a method to grow in the spiritual life, but it's essential for our salvation. Discernment of spirits is not a luxury. It's not something that's just nice to know about. It's not something that, you know what, you know, I went to this mission, it's cool, yeah, whatever, you know, now I know how to discern spirits, whatever. No, this should affect all of our lives. And we should always be sensitive and discerning the spirits before we make any major decisions, before we ever jump into things. Always be able to sit and listen. Where is that coming from? What is going on? And the way you and I can truly do that, the way you and I can really discern what spirits are working with our lives are through the 14 rules of St. Ignatius of Loyola. The 14 rules of St. Ignatius of Loyola. And in fact, that's what's going to be about the rest of this talk. St. Ignatius of Loyola and those rules. And for the rest of this talk, all I want to do is answer two questions. The first question is, what does discernment of spirits practically look like? What is it? We, we can have an idea. I can preach to you about silence and about Satan confusing us and God giving us grace and whatever. But what does it really look like? Give me a story and I'll be happy to do that. The second question I want to answer is what is the purpose of these rules? Why do we need these rules if we just have the basic Christian life? And we'll get a little bit deeper into that. So first things first, what does discernment of spirits practically look like? How can we see it in real life? And the answer is simply, all we need to do is look at the lives of the saints. If you look at St. Anthony of the Desert, St. Anthony of the Desert, if you don't know about him, existed in the second century. And he was a wild man. He read the gospel, looked at and found out and read about how the rich man couldn't sell everything he had. And Jesus said, and if you really love me, you should be able to sell everything you had. And so St. Anthony saw this and he said, well, 
I really like Jesus. No, I really love Jesus. I guess that means I've got to sell everything I have. So what does he do? He sells everything he has, takes his sister, puts her in the convent. Things were a little bit different back then. Puts her in the convent, makes them take care of her. And then he goes off into the desert and he lives and focuses on prayer. Now what happens to St. Anthony of the desert is he sees all these crazy wild visions. He sees visions of wild beasts running and threatening to intimidate him. He sees visions of naked people. He sees visions of priests. He sees visions of all these crazy things. And then he sees visions of angels. And what St. Anthony of the Desert said, whenever it comes to these visions, is basically this. If a vision hits you, whether it's about a beast or an angel, pay attention to how you're feeling. Pay attention to what, what stirs in your heart. If it leaves a feeling of confusion, a feeling of desolation, a feeling of sadness, then that is an influence or a vision that comes from the devil. That's not a vision that comes from God. No, if you have a vision and it arrives to you and you're left with peace, with comfort, with consolation, that is a vision that comes from God. That's just St. Anthony of the Desert. That was the extent of discernment of spirits. And for the most part, that was about as much as we said and, or talked about whenever it comes to discernment of spirits for the next 1,300 years. Sure, a lot of the church fathers talked about it, but seldom did any go, any go into real depth. That was until St. Ignatius of Loyola stepped onto the scene. And if we really wanted to learn about discernment of spirits, all we have to do is begin with his life. St. Ignatius of Loyola was born in 1491, died in 1556, and he was, a, he was known as a Basque. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Basques, but Basques are basically Spanish separatists. If we look at if Spain as my fist, they're about right here in the Pyrenees Mountains, and they don't like to be called Spanish. They haven't ever liked to be called Spanish, not for the past thousand years. And even to this day, they're still trying to find their own country. That is a perfect embodiment of St. Ignatius of Loyola. St. Ignatius of Loyola was a middle child. He was of lower nobility, and he grew up to be about eh, five feet, two inches tall. And unfortunately, St. Ignatius of Loyola suffered from one of the greatest problems of any vibrant, short, middlemen suffer from. He had small man syndrome, a Napoleon complex. He was angry. He was combative. And because of that, what did he do? He joined the military. Now, not everybody who joins the military has small man syndrome, but that's how he did it. He opted to do that so that he could then prove himself through feats of valor and fighting and all this other stuff. Now, his military career lasted a good while and he was very known for his heroics in battle. But something happened. He was going to bat into an impossible battle with the French. They were coming to seize his castle in a place called Pompolonia, Spain. And the French outnumbered the Spanish by far. And instead of surrendering, Ignatius insisted on fighting, even whenever the battle was clearly lost. He fought and he fought and he fought in this battle until a cannonball came from the battlefield of the French 
and hit him right in the thigh. Broke his, broke his femur right there. And he went down. The French admired him so much that instead of going up to him and killing him because he was a nightmare, they let him go. They let him return back to his castle to heal from his awful battle wound. And so what happened was he had a surgery. But the problem with that surgery is it left a giant knot on his leg. And based off of the way they wore stockings back then, that was back then, don't go wearing stockings now, guys, but back then that's what they did. Had this giant knot on his leg. And he said, you know what, this is unsightly. If people see me with this giant knot on my leg, then they won't respect me, they won't appreciate me. So what did he do? He decided to have a second surgery with no anesthesia. This guy was crazy. So what happened was they opened him up, took a saw, and started sawing away this giant knot. And all he did, legend has it, was hold his fists together. He made no screaming, no noise, no nothing. He just held his fists together. Crazy. But that's San Ignatius of Loyola for you. The man had an iron will. He couldn't be stopped. And yet, he, because of this wound, the man was bedridden. He was completely healthy. Nothing wrong with his heart or anything like that. He didn't have any infectious diseases. Kind of surprising, judging that that was that long ago. But he couldn't move anywhere. He had to prop his leg up and let it heal. And he was inside this castle. And as you would imagine, inside a castle, not being able to walk around for six months, he was looking for a little bit of reading material. Now granted, guys, this is a little bit before the printing press. Not much more before the printing press, but a little bit before. So books really weren't that abundant. And so the only two books in this castle was A Life of Christ and Lives of the Saints. That's it. He wanted like a book about King Arthur or the Knights of the, the Round Table or some war book because that's what he's used to thinking about. But all he had were these two books, these two pious books. And so what he did was he reluctantly decided to start reading them. And he'd read these books for a time, get involved, and then he'd put the book down. And instead of thinking about what, what he was reading, he would tend to daydream. And you know who he would daydream about? A woman. Nothing's changed in 1400 years. As he began to daydream about a woman, maybe women, who knows, he began to set his sights on one lady that he knew. Now this lady was a woman of high, high nobility. And he had a great plan to go out and conquer many lands and many nations and ride up on his horse and bow his head and she would swoon over him and they would get married and live happily ever after, whatever. It was a giant fantasy, he had no shot. No shot whatsoever. But he would think about that, that was his project. To sweep this woman off of her feet and yet, it never really was gonna pan out. And in the back of his head, as much as he fantasized about this worldly conceited project, he began to realize, eh, maybe this isn't exactly for me. Then something else would happen. He would quit thinking about that, pick up the books and began to read. And instead of dreaming about war and women, he began to dream about saints, namely two saints, St. Saint Dominic and St. Francis. 
St. Dominic and St. Francis, for those who don't know, founded two of the major religious orders in the 1200s, about 300 years before St. Ignatius. St. Dominic found, no surprise, the Dominicans. St. Francis found, no surprise, the Franciscans. Now, what he began to do was as he was daydreaming and daydreaming about these two great saints, what he began to think about was how he could do these great penances. St. Francis of Assisi was known for walking around barefoot, for not eating food, and for singing constantly to the birds and the air and all this other stuff. He was a man, St. Francis was something else. Let me just put it to you that way. But he was totally cool. Anyway, as he would dream about St. Francis and all of his penances and all of his time sleeping on the bare rock without any clothes on and all of his times going converting the Muslims and all these different like wild adventures that sane, what we would call, sane people don't usually think about, he began to really settle in this, this idea. He began to stop and think and realize, hmm, it might not be that hard to live off of just grass for three days. Hmm, it might not be that difficult to walk barefoot for six, seven months at a time. Hmm, it might not be that difficult to wear hair shirts all the time. And one of the things that he noticed was this. Actually, excuse me, he didn't really pay attention to much of either of these thoughts until, according to him, one day his eyes were opened a little. And he discovered this. He discovered that when he thought these worldly projects, this great grand adventure of going to find this woman, sweep her off her feet, make her his, whenever he began to think about this, what he discovered was that the feelings that had left him were quite desolate. He found that even though while he was thinking about him, he was getting excited, he was getting into it, he was all, you know, imagining himself riding on horseback through the countryside, looking all noble on his steed, whatever. What he began to realize was that after he thought these worldly things, after dwelling on this, this impossible fantasy, he was kind of left sad. He was left desolate. He was left confused, empty, like he had nothing, and ultimately a little sad. But what he noticed was that after he thought about these wild escapades that these great saints went on, the fact that these guys ate nothing for long periods of time, the fact that these guys didn't bathe, the fact that these guys went to the Muslims who killed every Christian they saw at the time and tried to convert them, the fact that these guys did that, and yet, what he, things that normal people, at least what we would call normal people, don't really think about, he did. And he thought, wow, I could do that. And what he discovered was after he thought that, his heart was left warm, consoled. What he noticed is the happiness that he felt during these, these times of prayer during these dreams, during these thoughts, was that he was left happier, warmer, more motivated, less anxious, more at peace. And it was that moment that he realized, as he says his eyes were opened a little bit, it was that moment that he realized that there's more at work here than just Ignatius Loyola. That there instead was also a dynamic, a duality, God and the evil one. And what he began to notice was that the, it was the Lord 
and the good spirit who is granting him that reward. Those warm feelings, that consolation, that grace, that peace, that happiness that began to stir deep within his soul. And what he began to notice too was that it was the father of lies. Satan himself who began to beat him down, to make fun of him, to cause anxiety, to remind him how impo- of how impossible this is to go after this girl, to remind of him of how, how useless he really was and how he was just a five-foot-two angry basket by the fact that he was nothing. That it was Satan who caused this depression, who caused this anxiety in him. It was Satan that beat him down. And it was at that very moment that he realized that these are the two spirits at work and that this is the discernment of spirits. Now to give you an idea of what else happened, Ignatius got better after this castle, after staying in this castle for six months. And what he did was he went then on another journey. He went to go and live in a cave and began to actually practice these fasts that the Dominicans and the Franciscans allegedly practiced. And over a period of nine months in total silence, he began to ruin, he actually ruined his stomach. He fasted so much. And what he did was he came out and said, you know what? That cave experience changed my life. Because it was out of this cave that he realized he was called to, to form the company of the Society of Jesus, that is the Jesuits. But he realized, and he realized too that every Jesuit should have to go through something like this cave time. But it shouldn't be nine months long, and it shouldn't involve such heavy fasting as to ruin someone's stomach. And it was out of that idea, this experience that he had in this cave for nine months of silence, nine months of battle, nine months of discernment of what the spirits were going on, that he gave birth and came up with this idea called the spiritual exercises. That is a a period of 30 days of silence for every Jesuit to go on, to have, if you will, their conversion, to really and truly experience God. And to begin to recognize the dynamic between good and evil in their very hearts, in the hearts of their lives. And it was from those spiritual exercises that he wrote the 14 rules of discernment that we have right here. These rules of discernment are what are the cornerstone of every single Jesuit. They're the cornerstones of how they work and how they figure out what's right, right, what's wrong, and how to act in the right and proper way. And these rules have a great and mighty purpose. And that's the second question that I want to answer tonight. What are the purpose of these rules? And the purpose of these rules are simple. He writes it at the very top. The rules for becoming aware and understanding. To some extent, the different movements which are caused in the soul. The good to receive them and the bad to reject them. The good to receive them, and the bad to reject them. That is what St. Ignatius Loyola proposes are the purpose of these rules. To be able to be aware and understand the exact movement of what is going on in the soul. Notice that he's concerned with the movements of the soul. Not so much the projects that the Jesuits are thinking about. That's what these these rules of discernment are all about. The rules of discernment are all about asking the question, who? Not what, but who? 
Who is influencing me right now? Where is this idea coming from? What am I getting out of this? How am I feeling? And why would I be feeling that? And what he discovered is that, when it, is that most of these, these movements of the soul follow a thought. In the case of St. Ignatius, he had a worldly thought. Going after this girl that was way out of his league. And following that worldly thought, he felt the heavy desolation of Satan pulling him down. But what he discovered was something else. Something a little bit deeper. What he found was that from this desolation, more thoughts came about. How many times do you and I get this heavy feeling? This feeling of sadness, this feeling of anger, this feeling of lust, this feeling of whatever. And then instead of rejecting it, let it linger. And how often do those thoughts go out of control? And how often do they get deeper and darker and worse and worse and worse and worse until sin is committed? That's what St. Ignatius recognizes. And that's what the rules of discernment are meant to be, meant to show us. The other thing that it shows us too, though, is how often do we come up with great spiritual goals? A goal like, say, let's, I want to pray a rosary every day. And how often do we get excited about this idea? How often do we look forward to, yeah, let's pray a rosary every day. I think it'd be good for me. I think it would help out my spiritual life. I think I'd be more attentive to the Lord. I think I'd be a happier person in general. That's the consoling thoughts that come about after. And if we recognize that, we can continue to pursue these thoughts and stay there. But if we don't recognize that, if we just chalk this up to ordinary excitement, random kind of psychological feel-goods, then what will happen is these thoughts and these excitements and these joys will fade. And before you know it, you and I will look back at our plans to pray a rosary every day and think, uh, what was I thinking? I can't pray a rosary every day. That's too much work. That's too hard. I don't have what it takes. I mean, I've got all this stuff going on. I've got kids to feed. I've got people to talk to. I've got to worry about this problem and that problem. I've got to go to work. I've got a job. I've got this. I've got that. I've got that. Before you know it, you throw out that great ambitious plan that the Lord was clearly helping you to do. The plan to pray a rosary every day. But if you and I can recognize that that stirring in our hearts, that goal, that good, that, that as some people call, and I don't really like the term, that Jesus high is something legitimately from God, then we can have the opportunity, we can have the, the wherewithal to stay there. And that's whenever we'll start growing in our spiritual life. That's whenever we're going to start being a lot happier and continue on the road to heaven. Now, there's a process. Before we get too deep into the 14 rules of discernment, there's two things that we need to be aware of. The first one is how to discern. And basically, Father Timothy Gallagher, who is an expert, the foremost leading American expert of the rules of discernment, he says we've got to be able to do three things. We've got to have awareness, understanding, and then we need to take action. Those are the three things that St. Ignatius mentions in his introduction to the 14 rules of discernment. Whenever he says that these are rules for becoming aware and understanding which are caused in the soul. The good to receive them, that's take action and receive the good. And the bad to reject them, that is take action and reject the good. That's the difference between the two. And that's ultimately what we need to do. We need to have, first and foremost, an awareness. This is a very, very beautiful thing that only humans can do. Awareness. 
We often talk about how human beings can reflect on themselves. That is, they can look back at their lives and think, oh yeah, that memory was pretty cool. That camping trip was fun. That fishing trip was fun. That vacation was good. These things are things that humans specifically are able to do. We can look back at events that happen in our lives and we can make judgments. And that's cool. But there's actually something that we can do that's a lot higher than just looking back at the events of our lives and making judgments. What we can do, which is actually borderline invasive, well, I dare, I dare I say, a divine action, is you and I can look back at our lives, and instead of just thinking about the things that happen to our lives, the sensual things, we can think about our thoughts. We can look back and monitor how we were thinking, what we were thinking, and what, how that lined up to our actions. You and I, if we are truly aware can be aware not just of our actions, but the things that go on inside of our heads, our thoughts. If you and I are ever going to really discern spirits, we have got to be able to take that time, take that silence, and contemplate thoughts. That's why silence is so critical to this entire process. If you don't have silence, you might as well kiss it goodbye. You have no shot. In fact, Father Timothy Gallagher makes it very clear. The discernment of spirits is one of the hardest things you and I can do in this world. Because you and I live in a world saturated with distraction. In the medieval times, the only distraction, the distractions you had were your neighbor and your thoughts. Those are the people that basically distracted you. But here, our neighbors and our, and, and our electronics that surround us provide one of the greatest distractions of all time. And I'm just thinking too about electronics. Think about Ignatius of Loyola's story. What he did was he was reading a paper book. And he put down the paper book and he didn't get another paper book. He sat and thought about what he did and what he was thinking about during the paper book. He had the opportunity to daydream. And how cool is that? And how hard is that for you and I? How often do we get on a kick and we decide to start reading an article? whether in the Wall Street Journal, Catholic News Services, Catholic Herald, whatever. We read an article, an article that might be even spiritually nourishing, and what do we do? We go find another article. Or we turn the page and go to something else. Or we click on this other ad. Or we go to Facebook. Or we go to Twitter. Or we go to Instagram. And we never, ever take the time to sit back and reflect. What did that article really say? How did it impact me? How's it going to change my life? What did I feel reading that article? Those are some things that we need, to, we need to do on our own. We need to take that initiative, to take the opportunity to pause, reflect, and be in silence so that you and I can take that first step toward discernment, and that is being aware. The second step is understanding. So awareness, understanding. Understanding, relatively simple is being able to look at consolation and understanding generally that it comes from God. Being able to look at desolation. Being able to understand generally that it comes from Satan. What this requires, and this is a lot easier, guys, for girls than us, it requires you to pay attention to your feelings. I know it's not something we're very good at, but it's a requirement. The fact of the matter is, is that most of us have these feelings. And, especially us guys, 
we're very good at suppressing them. And at times, honestly, that does us all a great service. Thank you for suppressing some of your feelings. It does me, does me a lot of help. But whenever it comes to the spiritual life, this attitude of suppressing your feelings doesn't necessarily help. Because in the light of St. Ignatius, what feelings represent are kind of like a thermometer. Don't make a decision based off of your feelings, but look at your feelings and see where you are in life. If we take a moment, like, it's kind of like checking your temperature. You're sick, you're tired, so you, instead of just keep on going, 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 going and making the sickness worse, you stop, take your temperature, oh, I have a 99.9% .9 temperature, whatever. So maybe I should go see the doctor. Maybe I should fix something. It's the exact same thing with the spiritual life. If we are in a state where we're angry, we're lustful, where we want to fight, where we want to be sad, where we want to be anxious, whatever it is, it means if we really understand this, we have to stop and take our temperature. All right, I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm this, I'm that. And if I keep on going this way, I'm going to be in desolation. I'm going to be utterly upset. I'm going to hate myself. And it's not going to be worth it. I'm going to hate everybody else. And everybody's going to hate me. It's going to be one giant mess. Or we can stop. Take a look. What's going on? Why do I feel this way? Oh, maybe because I really was pulling a St. Ignatius and going after a girl that was way out of my league. Or maybe because I was looking and thinking about a coworker and really getting upset and infuriated and just losing my mind about it. Okay, maybe it's time to bring in some Christian principles. Maybe it's time to pray for that coworker. Maybe it's time to pray for that girl. Maybe it's time to, to let go of these things. And not hold on to them. Not keep them in our hearts. Not letting this dark anger swirl about inside of us. That's understanding. And then there's the flip side. The fact of the matter is, the sermon of spirits is not just about rejecting Satan. It's also about receiving the good. That can be very, very difficult because we're not often prompted or it can be very difficult to hold on to, and to hold and appreciate those deep and beautiful graces that God gives us. We have the tendency to want to move on. And basically, that's the other part of understanding. Whenever we get those lasting feelings of joy, the warmth of consolation for maybe doing something right, maybe praying a rosary, maybe doing an act of service, maybe giving a donation, whatever it says to a good cause, whatever it might be, those feelings are things we need to stay with, things we need to, to keep, to hold, and not just to go and move on to the next thing and do whatever, all right, but rather to stay there and to ponder them and to thank God for them and ask God, out of these desires, where do you want me to go next? Where do you want me to go next? We'll get more and deep into, deeper into that. Finally, the last thing, take action. Taking action is the greatest thing you and I can do. Whenever we see these evil thoughts, whenever we see this desolation, taking action is a matter of simply rejecting them. Just simply rejecting them. I can't tell you how many times I hear people come to me and they're complaining about Satan and all of his evil works and all of his deeds and how powerful he is and blah, 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 blah. Guys, let me tell you something. You are stronger than Satan. If Satan was stronger than you, he would not have to lie to you. He would just manhandle you and, and force you into sinning. But instead, he's weaker than you. He acts like a coward, and so he does what every good coward does, and he tells you lie after lie after lie. 
which means that all we need to do to reject Satan and all of his evil ways is to be attentive to those lies and calling BS on them, rejecting them, saying, I am not going to listen to that. I'm going to stay right back where God wanted me. I'm going to go back to those pious thoughts that I had earlier. I'm going to go back to that plan of prayer rosary. I'm going to go back to that, that initial idea that I'm going to go to Mass today. I'm going to go start praying for this person or that person or this person. I'm not going to dwell on these dark thoughts. That's all that it takes. We'll get a little bit more into that. That's a huge part of discernment of spirits is how to reject those evil thoughts. And finally, the last thing is accepting the good. Guys, all of the Christian life, all of the great Christian saints in the world, all they ever did was follow the consolation and the movements of the Holy Spirit. That's it. If you talk to any great saint, and I'm thinking namely of Mother Teresa, she would tell you that all she did was follow the Lord and where, she led, where He led her. I think, first off, we all know maybe that Mother Teresa was not always a missionary of charity. That she didn't come out of the womb forming her own order. But instead, she was a part of the Loretto Sisters. These were a, a group of nuns out of Albania, traveled to India. And in India, they ran these schools for the, these rather expensive schools for these Catholic kids in India. And she felt a movement in her heart, a movement deep within, telling her, I want you to go and serve the poorest of the poor. It was God telling her and giving her that extreme consolation, giving her that fire, that grace, that ability to go and serve the poorest of the poor that ultimately got her moving. But the fact of the matter is, she could have easily rejected that prompting. She could have easily said, no, I'm a poor little nun, I can't do that. Which is true. She was a poor little nun, and on her own she couldn't do that. But the fact of the matter is, is that God was working on her. And because she said yes, because she accepted that invitation to do something great, we have one of the greatest and fastest growing missionary or religious orders of women that the world has ever seen in the missionaries of charity. Those women who fearlessly serve the poorest of the poor in the most marginalized of countries that there is. So my friends, I want to ask, closing this out and about to go into adoration, I just want to let you think about one question, really two questions. How are the spirits working in your lives? Where was the spirits working in your lives today? Was God calling you to something deeper? Was God showing you love in a place that you had never seen before? Was the Lord warming your heart based off of an experience that you may have had with your children, with your co-workers, with your friends? And then ask this question too. How was Satan working? Was Satan trying to get you to gossip about somebody? Was Satan trying to get you to lust after somebody? Was Satan trying to get you angry? Or this or that and that? And did you fall into that? We're all lowly sinners at times. We can all be tricked. Did that happen? And if we've experienced the movement of God, 
We experience that warm touch, that consolation that the Lord is always seeking to give us based off of what we are seeking to do and how we're seeking to serve Him. If that happened, then take the opportunity to thank Him. Thank you, Lord, for working in my life. Thank you, Lord, for not letting go. Thank you, Lord, for standing by me and giving me the strength to continue my Catholic journey. But if we failed in any way, and we listened to those lies and failed to reject the evil spirits, take this opportunity in front of the Blessed Sacrament to tell God, Lord, I'm sorry. Give me the grace to be more attentive to you that I might serve you better and stronger. So, before I leave, I should, I should really should have left you on that note. But before I go, our next two Lenten missions will be all about the actual discernment of spirit. Please bring these papers. We will go through basically the first four rules tomorrow and the other ten rules after that. The first four rules are, disor- are, are informative rules that show us exactly how the spirits are working. And the later ten rules are all about how to deal with these spirits. How to deal mainly with the evil spirit. So that you and I might serve God well and strongly. So, as we go into adoration, just to remind you, two questions. How is God working your life? And how is the evil spirit trying to destroy it? Amen.